And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Right, a little rock and roll to wrap up our week here at the bunker. We are live from the bunker one last time this week for this show. Happy to have all of you here. Welcome and thank you for being here. My name is Jason Hutt. I'm the editor chief here at Sci Fi for Me, which means that I'm responsible for everything that goes wrong. I can only blame the gremlins just so much, right? Uh, If you want to be a part of the program, the chat's open, the comments are open. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. I see Cam1138, and I see Mazeris, both of you in the chat. Welcome. Good to have you here. Those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, we're glad you're here along for the ride as well. We see, uh, I see Japan, I see the UK, I see Germany. Happy to have all of you along with us. And if you are looking for a podcast platform so you can hear us, we're on all, just about all of them, a lot of them. So uh, there is that option as well. Well, you can also send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. Join us on all of the socials. Sign up for our newsletter. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can get in touch with us. I probably have done too much of that because that's how it is. All right, very quickly, I just wanted to give you a a heads up. Yesterday, I had to run a a real quick errand, and this is kind of a special thing. I picked up these Tarzan books by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and I do believe that these are first editions. This Tarzan of the Apes right here, dated 19. 14. I was very excited. I need to pick up a first edition of Dracula, Mr. Uh, Clint Stoker, who is related to Brom Stoker. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having <laughs> me. That's uh, impressive. I've I've only think I've touched one book that old. Yeah, and I remember it was just like, you want to be careful to not break it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I did have at one time and, and my ex-wife has them now, I believe we did have at one time, uh, a Shakespeare folio, uh, a number of hardbound, oh, wow. uh, another hardbound. And I think the date on those was something like the 1920s or something. It was a very old, I mean, they weren't first editions of course, but, uh, they were old enough, but I do think, yeah, I think these are, these are first editions looks like, uh, you just stumbled across them and, you know, coincidentally enough, happened to know the person who was selling them for her aunt. She's like, yeah, they're clearing out a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take them. <laughs> Twist my arm. So, Clint Stoker, the writer of Downcast and Fatal, back with us to talk about Downcast 3, which just launched this week. It is uh, Downcast 3 Submerged, the continuation of this storyline, and you've already 
blown past 16,000. Here's an article here on uh, on the splintering. You guys were fully funded the first day. Congratulations. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, there. It's funny with crowdfunding. There's several different goals happening at the same time. One is the goal that you put on Indiegogo, which is the five thousand dollar goal. I think that's what I usually do is five thousand yep. dollars. You have your actual goal, what you want to hit on the first day, because it is sort of a good projection of how you'll do for the rest of the campaign. And we passed my goal for that as well by $2,000. So that was fantastic. Uh, So now it's just up to me to keep working and getting the word out. And uh, hopefully that end goal will uh, do as well or surpass our expectations. So So how, before, before we go on, yes, I will say hi to sci-fi snob. I'm just now seeing that you, that you came into the chat. So welcome. Uh, so Clint, how, how well has this one performed compared to the other ones? Are you seeing, are you seeing a progression kind of like you look at Brian Polito's projects, for example, and Mm -hmm. there's growth, Every time there's a new project, either in the number of backers or the dollar amount, and it seems to be a mix of one or the other, are you seeing a particular trend now that you're, you know, this is your fifth campaign, it's your third downcast book, but you've also done Fatal. What was the other one that you did? I can't remember. Uh, The other one I'm just a contributor on, it was uh, the Silver Streak story I wrote uh, for the... Yeah, that anthology story. Um, so have you seen a trend in, in how things are going in terms of the amount of support you're getting for each book? Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, day one is pretty important, but at the same time, when you have campaigns that are open for a long time, like in the in-demand phase, people tend to wait. And so you're sort of fighting against everyone's nature to procrastinate. Um so you're trying to incentivize people to get in early. So for Downcast 3, I think we were just barely under the backer number that we had for about Downcast 2 within the first 24 hours. But the dollar amount is up. Um, so the, the average backer dollar amount has been higher. I think part of the reason is just that we have more books. I mean, there's, uh, you know, one, two, and three. If you're a new reader, you gotta, you're spending a little bit more money to buy into the series. Um, and then, you know, I think probably I'm getting a little bit better at crafting tiers that people want. I like to think anyway. Um, so there's a little bit of that as well. Yeah. Uh, with Downcast 2, though, for a while, people were saying, oh, you're not going to make as much as you did on Downcast 1 or you have fewer backers. But the way that everything panned out, Downcast 2 actually exceeded the backer number and the dollar amount of Downcast 1. So with Downcast 3 now being completely finished, what I'm hoping to do is encourage people to back sooner rather than later because they'll get the book a heck of a lot sooner. So we'll see. I, I think uh, my real goal here is to break a 1,000 backers. We always get so close <laughs> on Downcast campaigns uh, to a 1,000 but haven't quite broken that number. So uh, with this one, I'm hopeful that we'll hit that. Well, and that raises an interesting question because the 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 critics of the indie crowd scene, uh, the in, the indie crowdfunding scene, especially those who are who are anti Comicsgate, quote unquote, 
Yeah. Uh, they they look at this. I mean, a thousand backers or fifteen hundred backers or whatever. That's a in the grand scheme of things in terms of of comics in general. That's not a high number. I mean, you're making you're making enough money that you're 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 able to sustain all of this. Mm-hmm. But has there been conversations among the creators? Because I know you're you're in contact with a number of different people. You guys are talking back and forth. You know, Eric and Vaughn and and, and that group and Peter Smetti and and such. Yeah. Have there been conversations about trying to figure out ways to expand? the potential marketplace in terms of your your customer base the, we can get more backers it's not necessarily a question of the dollar number but getting in front of more people getting more people interested how do you go from a thousand backers on a book on each book yeah. to you know not necessarily you know traditional publishing numbers a hundred thousand or three hundred thousand or whatever but at least getting into 10,000 backers or you know expanding right. that customer base so you've got uh you've got a broader uh foundation of support as it were yeah i mean that's something i think about all of the time i think um it's easy to get uh you find what works in crowdfunding and the tendency is that you're just going to stick with exactly what you've been doing the whole time because it worked the problem with that is you're definitely focused on just, for example, just my YouTube audience, you know, or just, you know, the streams that I cross over to, you know, there's going to be a little bit of overlap and they'll have some, uh, some other people on those channels that I, I'm going to be promoting to, but there's a lot, awful lot of overlap from my own audience. Right. And so it, it definitely, um, it's, it's looking for other avenues to get the word out. And that's, with this campaign, what I want to, I've been talking uh, with somebody about uh, doing some Facebook advertising, which I haven't really done before for comics, which I mean, I, it might be a, a worthwhile experiment at the very least, but I'd, I'd like to find other ways to try and, and just get into other pools of, uh, you know, potential comic book buyers. Right. Well, right off the top of my head, I can think of two. I don't know if you guys have tried the press release route you know, getting in touch with places like, you know, depending on you, like with Wirehead, for example, you know, Rob Geronimo, reaching yeah. out to promotehorror.com or doing some sort of a of a, a general press release to the various different sites that, that cover comics, you know, ICV2 and Comic Book News and, you know, those kind of things. But then also, has there been any discussion about cross-promoting? So possibly doing an ad for Downcast 3 in the next Battlebrick Road book and an ad for Battlebrick Road in the next Cyberfrog book and, you know, Vissy Vice where you guys trade space. And maybe not yeah. necessarily the Comicsgate ad, but, you know, the indie comics scene, you guys kind of start promoting each other because everybody's imprint, you know, everybody's got an imprint now. You've got Sweet Comics, you've got all cap all caps comics and, and you know, that, you know, Splato and, and that's sort of thing. But it would seem to make sense to me that all of you are part of this, uh, resurgence in independent comics, that it would make sense for you to support each other through that. And that way you get your, your title 
in front of other people that might not necessarily know know who you are yet. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we do a lot of cross promotion, but it, it it definitely weighs on YouTube a lot more. Um, I did run an ad in Downcast One. This was before I do very much about how MediaMail worked. Um, but in Downcast One, I've got an ad for the Prospector, and um, that was you know Matthew Fowler's book. And really, all it took is him sending me some uh, art, original art, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll put an ad in in my book for you. But um, found out uh, later that uh, you can't. That's a no no for Media Mill. You can't put ads in books. And uh, there's some stipulations because they don't like comics being sent media mail right. as it is, but you can send graphic novels media mail. So uh, there, there are a few little rules there that um, you have to abide by if you want to access media mail. Um, but I think I think that uh, you're right that there are other routes for cross promotion. I think with, with, when it comes to like Vaughn and Eric. Uh, a lot of my backers know them. A lot of their backers know me. Uh, I try to get to other creators like Jason Brubaker, for example, where mm-hmm. we don't stream together. It's it's pretty rare when we stream together, but whenever we do, it's great. I love J- Jason Brubaker. He's a good guy. And um, I think he's got enough of a different audience where there's, you know, we really are introducing each other to a greater, uh, you know, different audience, I guess. So I think that there's opportunities for more of that kind of stuff. I'm going to go on purchase channel on Friday. And again, right there, I think it's just slightly, you know, it might be getting a different crowd of people, albeit, you know, there's some overlap there right. as well. Um, you know, it was just, what, I think I made a video earlier this week, maybe it was last week about, uh, you know, how many comics buyers are actually on Twitter, you know? And so I got to think most of them are out there elsewhere, you know, and, right. and finding them and, and introducing them to my book is, is big, but um, yeah, I got to find, continue to search for more ways to do that. Well, and I found, I, I ran across a white paper uh, a couple of weeks ago from, from the PR and marketing angle that basically talks about the demographic breakdown on all these different social media outlets and it seems like the broadest audience in terms of age and and ethnicity and gender and all of that seems to be YouTube and Facebook. Twitter didn't even pop up in some age groups as a primary thing. So, you know, you've yeah. got Instagram, you've got Pinterest, you've got, uh, you've got TikTok, you know, uh, Snapchat, all of those. But, but by and large, YouTube and, and Facebook seem to be the top two uh, among everybody. So I'm wondering if that's something that can be strategized in a way that maybe maybe if the if there are creators who can go in together on a series of ads for example or you know a maybe maybe a group in Facebook or something but that that again goes back to the people who already know who you are. So it's it's a it is it is a tricky challenge. Have you talked to retail shops at all? Because now that now that Downcast is at Alterna being published as a monthly, uh, you know, a sing, single issues, have you had yeah. contact with retail shops to to get it on the shelves? Yeah, um, I talked to retail shops here in Utah, and I, you know, I'm like I'm a local 
comic book writer. Not only that, but when I look at it, I'm pretty sure I, I'm the Utah comic book writer with the biggest crowdfunding campaign, you know, in the whole state. So that, I think that's notable. Um, so, I, you know, I've talked to retailers and um, it, it, it's interesting. It's a hard sell. And I've heard other indie, indie creators, even, you know, image creators talk about how difficult it is to get shops to carry your books. Um, the way I took, I, I bought them books and I just showed up and said, hey, here's my book. Will you carry this? I'm giving they're like, well, we can't buy them. Like, no, they're free. I'm giving these to you because they really should be in your shop. Um, but it, it hasn't, I don't have a mechanism to really um, get to all the shops. And then the question is, is it the Alterna stuff, which was what I would lean to, toward is them getting Alterna um, rather than the crowdfunded stuff, just because the, you know, the price point and all that makes a lot more sense to comic book shops. Right. Um, and so I'm, it's trying to get them to go to Alterna and order Alterna Direct. So it sort of goes through the the correct channels, you know. Um, but uh, after things have really changed with Diamond, uh, it's been really difficult. I've had conversations with Peter about this, but shops are, not many shops are ordering direct from Alterna these days because, you know, they, they all want to do things the way that they've been doing them for a long time and not change. Right. <laughs> Well, and and I'm looking here in the chat, you know, uh, Cam one one three eight. People are desperately attempting to prevent Comicsgate from being seen at at what it, as what it is. Uh, you know, normal comic fans in the consumer movement. Now, it seems to me though uh, that it's it's broader than just Comicsgate. I mean, if you're looking at the overall landscape of crowdfunding comics i mean scott snyder's gotten into it now you've got um uh, sean gordon murphy who's done it you've got keanu reeves involved in in a project now you've got all of the all of these different notable names in the outside of the comics gate circle who are diving into indie comics and crowdfunding is that do you think is that a sign that it's getting a little bit more legitimacy now that maybe it might be easier to get the books in the shops at some point here in the in the near future? I think yeah, I think a lot of it is getting uh, shops to accept that there are crowdfunded books first, and, and so I really think it's actually a good thing that you had Berserker, right? Uh, the Keanu Reeves book. Um, you're seeing Scott Snyder uh, do his book. And that will be going through Image Comics also. It's good to see that because it's getting publishers and retailers used to the idea that things are going to be crowdfunded first. And even better, your shop is not going to get the first version of the book. I think a lot of shops, that puts a bad taste in their mouth that you're going to, back, you're going to get backers their books first because the shops want to be first, but the reality is that I think your average Joe going into a comic book shop, they're not backing crowdfunding campaigns. Yeah. It's a, it's a totally different audience. So, you know, I, I like the method that I have with Alterna, which is launch the campaign, make sure that it's profitable, uh, that those early adopters, those hardcore readers are getting a nice prestige book. And then we have a more affordable version later in the form of newsprint floppies that we're 
you know, that are available to anybody for, you know, really affordable price. Well, and so, so I like that the piece that's, you know, it, that you're always chasing is just, let's get this in front of as many readers as we can. Right. And Sci-Fi Snob makes a good point is retail might be the way to get the most eyes on people who are likely to buy comics just in general, but maybe not necessarily those who are going to be backing uh, crowdfunded books. Because in in the the overall uh, scheme of things, how many people are even aware that these that that crowdfunding is a thing? I mean, you have people that are doing the GoFundMe's to help care for you know medical expenses and and rent and and that sort of thing. But crowdfunding books, this is still kind of an esoteric thing, I would think. When 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 you start to put together the campaign. And you're looking at all of these perks and you're thinking, how much repeat business are you getting from people who have backed the books before? I mean, Snob says it's good that you've got issues one and two in this campaign. And I think other other groups, other campaigns, other creators have done the same kind of thing. Well, you missed out, but here we've got it, you know, we've got it in a bundle. You can get caught up. How much repeat backers are you seeing on average, do you think? Uh, there's a lot. Um, I could, I would, that would be an interesting question to look through my analytics and really analyze, uh, which I could do. Indiegogo, Indiegogo has pretty good numbers. Uh, and I think based off of Downcast 3, I could probably go off the number of people that are actually purchasing, uh, you know, books one and two uh, versus just book three, because people getting book three are going to be, uh, you know, presumably they've got already got book one and two, so they're covered there. Um, so that would be interesting to look into, but I would definitely say the majority of backers are not new backers. They're, they've been here for previous campaigns. So that's been really nice to see. Having said that, I did have, I was debating on if I should do a reprint uh, for one and two, because I was running out of books. And I thought I won't do a reprint. I'm just going to, I'm just going to make, the ones that I have in stock available. So I'm not going to hold back any for me, any copies for me. I put those all up and they sold out in the first day. So, uh, so now I'm doing a reprint. <laughs> so that's where we're at. So it's a good problem to have, but yeah, um, yeah I, I did pull in more new readers than I had expected. I'd also be curious to see how many are coming back as a repeat backer at a higher level at a higher tier. Yeah, I would imagine you're I, getting some of that too. I, I'm sure of it. Um, and that is like when you look at the the average backer dollar amount, I could probably figure that out real fast here too. But the my average backer a dollar amount has been going up on every single campaign. So that's uh, really nice. Let's see, I've got 16,055.4. And then I divide that by the backer number which currently we're at 294. So that's $56 per backer um, on average, Yeah, which is, I think for the first one, it was 31, something like that for the average backer. So that, uh, that number has gone up quite a bit. Um, and I have to think it's because backers are coming back. They're, they're getting the collector bundle instead of just the book. Well, have you had any feedback on the price for these? Has anybody been talking about 
uh, you know, among the various different creators that you have conversations with, have there been any issues raised on the price of these books? I mean, Snob says, I'm willing to take more, uh, take a chance on a $5 book with good art than a $50 one. Are you, are you getting yeah. any feedback that says, I, yeah, I, this looks good, but I don't know that I want to spend 30 bucks for it. I don't know that I want to spend 50 bucks for yeah. it. Is, is I, 25, yeah. 30 seems to be the optimal for this. I know it's a graphic novel. You've got 80 pages in this book, but it, yeah. how do you, how do you overcome that hurdle with some people? And, and downcast is a, a $20 book. So, okay. so there's that. Um, it's interesting because the pricing is when I announced the alternative, I had some really interesting criticism uh, for doing so because some people are like, well, why would I back the book if I can just get the Alterna newsprint version for you know less? It costs less money. Um, and I thought I might get lose backers over that, right. but I haven't really. And if I have lost backers, it hasn't been noticeable. So I think um, the method that I have worked out here, if, if what you want to do is take a chance on a $1.99 comic book, you can do that with Downcast. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you can back it or you can buy it from Alterna. You can buy it on my website too and I'll sell it. I'll sell you a signed copy. Um, so you can do that, but it's, uh, it's not the prestige format. And there's some, you know, there's a level where collectors are sort of the engine, they're the ones that are really making this format work. The fact that they want a prestige version, they want you to, to make the best book, best print job you possibly can and make it signed with extras, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That allows you to actually pay the costs of making a comic book. If I went directly to alternate or any publisher for that matter, um, I'm, I'm going to lose money. And you can see this. I mean, Jim Zub, for example, has been really transparent about his uh, experiences with Image Comics. And like his his first book, uh, I think it was Skull Kicker or something like that. Um, he's got it all documented on a blog online. And he, he didn't make money until like 10 years later, I think mm. he broke even on it. And I think that that's a misconception is that you can sell a book for, you know, $2.99, $3.99, and you're going to make a profit or even just cover your expenses. You're not, um, not in independent comics. So with crowdfunding, it's like, all right, we got to make this work financially. Um, we're going to give you something special. You're going to get it first. You treat those backers like they're gold. And then now you have a book that's made. So it comes down to just printing costs. And when you're printing on newsprint, it's cheap. So I think what I've got here is a pretty sustainable model. I'd love to see more creators doing it. No. Um, I've, I think time will tell how the Alterna cells go, but the way that I look at Alterna is it's really just about making the book available to more people. I see publishing Pete Samitty in the chat says, Crazy Clint is running wild. You guys are all <laughs> seem to be embracing that whole WWE motif there. I mean, have you, have yeah. you, have you figured out your costume yet, your character, your persona? I for, yeah for I didn't I didn't do a costume but uh, I should have now that I think about it I did a I did a short video for Peter he asked all the alternate creators to do one no. and so I did one for him he just posted it I think it was maybe an hour ago 
on his YouTube channel. You have to watch that. I'm calling out Spencer Desmond in that video. Oh, well, that'll uh, be fun. Maybe, maybe I should do one that calls out uh, calls out Smitty for for uh, not running any of the ads that I sent him. <laughs> <laughs> he did a call here not too long ago. He says, "Hey, you guys got uh, got TV spots? Yeah, we can run them on our channel." I was like, "Hey, I'll do it. Okay." <laughs> nice. But uh, we don't have a book. But, oh. you know, we've got we've got these opportunities where we can talk to people about the books. So, you know, it's kind of a kind of a sideways entry point, uh, especially with the creators who don't have a whole lot of places where they can talk about their books yet. We can at least help, you know, getting the word out on that side of things. And, you know, and, and I get, uh, you know, I give I give Pete a hard time on on some of this stuff, but uh, we're all good. But anyway, yeah, but this is that's the challenge. Is getting the word out, not not just about you know the book itself, but you know your creative team and getting them on and getting all the social media and having to deal with you know the pushback that you get, and you know people are like ah oh, well it's an indie comic and you know it's it's the, some new creator it's your first book, I don't know, it, it's it seems like sometimes that's that's a creative hurdle to get through that maybe other creators can, can help with some of that. Have you, have you, what's the best way to do this? Is it taking other creators under your wing, for example? I mean, you've done this now three or four times, you know, Polito's done it a good dozen, 20 times. You know, Ethan's been doing it for a while. Malin's doing it for a while. Freika's got a number of them. So all of you who have more than one campaign done and finished and fulfilled, are you making yourselves available? Is it easy to give advice to other creators when they come to you? Or, or is anybody even asking you for for the, the yeah. benefit of your experience? I, I get a lot of questions about crowdfunding. I think... Um, I think I have uh, a lot of people are watching me for the crowdfunding stuff, you know? Um, so I get a lot of questions on that. Uh, most of the time it's emails and I'll answer questions on emails. I have thought about doing a, Peter's going to love this, doing an open mic uh, video where people can call in, you know, kind of thing. And, and I'll, I'll give them my advice on their crowdfunding campaign or their plans for their crowdfunding campaign. Um, because I just get so many questions about it. Uh, so that's one thing. As far as like writing and comic book creation, I get a few questions like in the chat of a live stream, but not as many as for crowdfunding. So um, I don't know. I think uh, yeah, there's a lot of components that, uh, that that come to this. If I was just making comics and I was just known for being a writer, I think it would it would take some time for me to build up some street cred, you know, and. Yeah and get my stuff out there more widely read. Um, when it comes to crowdfunding, it's like, yeah, you know, this is my fourth campaign that I've managed. Um, I've consulted dozens of people on their campaigns. Um, and I think it's to a lot of people's benefit. So I, I think I have some, I can speak from a little bit of authority when it comes to crowdfunding in a lot of people's minds. Um, as far as, I know like new readers getting into books. If I'm looking at an indie book, honestly, if it's a series or if there are many books, it makes me, the assumption is, well, if, it, if they keep making books, it must be good. Right. You know, there, and so there's this, uh, 
that's a little bit of social proof, I guess, and just that you're making more books, people begin to read them more. And so that's been the way that I've approached it rather than doing a lot of different titles. I'm trying to build up a series so that they become bigger and longer runs just because I think that's why I get interested in comics in general. You know, when I hear about books is when they're continuing, I think, well, they must be good then. Mm. So I think there's a little bit of that. Time will tell though how, you know, how my my strategy has worked on this because it's definitely a long view of of how to make it work. But I'm hoping after, you know, a few more years of downcast installments that people will um, know what it's about. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll start getting it out to normies, quote unquote, those, those late adopters. At what point does Sweet Comics start publishing stories from other creators? I know, you know, Ethan's taken on a couple of other titles, uh, Richard Myers, you know, publishing some different things. And it seems like that's the next thing you get, you get to a certain point, you get big enough and now you expand the brand, as it were. You expand expand the imprint, and it actually now becomes a publishing entity, rather than just oh, it's just Clint making comics. Where where right. do you where does that threshold fall for you? That that's been a question I've been asking myself quite a lot. Um, I think I have different goals in the kind of stuff that I want to publish, and I'm going to be pretty. Uh, picky with what I would want to publish. I'm open to the idea of other creators working or or publishing other creator stuff. But even then it's like, I want it, I want it all to be connected to my franchise. So for example, if I wanted to do for downcast, we've got a new character, the monstro who I think people are really going to like, and I'd love to do a mini series of the monstro. Um, I'm open to the idea of if, people like that character, we could continue it. I could, in theory, hire some a creative team to work on that. You know, so it's still part of the downcast universe. It's still, you know, just naturally growing, um, you know, from my, my creative efforts, but it's still the same story. So it's more content for readers that have already bought into the story to access and it'll, it'll make for a richer world. I think that's the way I would handle it if I do, it is pretty tough for me to justify hiring a writer when I'm a writer. Right. Um, but at the same time, I see some value in bringing up uh, other talent and uh, giving people a shot. I know I would have killed for that <laughs> earlier on when I was trying to, to get work writing. Right. Well, and, and the mentoring and, and the advising from, from different people as far as, you know, giving people a shot for their first chance, you know, doing maybe like like some of the other uh, publishers have done, you get a backup story, you get six pages, you get eight pages or something. And then you've got Eric uh, Weathers, who's doing the letters on yours. He's, he's, he does letters on a number of books. I mean, he's just, he's just all over the place, yeah. uh, slinging his splorts or whatever, whatever it is that he's got. <laughs> but he's doing a site where he's, te- he's doing the tutorials. He's teaching people how to do lettering because he can only yeah. do so much at any given time. D- does it make sense then maybe to put together a, a central repository of advice and best practices and tutorials that are open to anybody that wants to crowdfund an indie comic? 
not just not just a comic skate thing. I know you've got comicskate.org over there that's doing their thing. Yeah. But having this central hub cuz I know Malin's been doing a lot on the on the distribution and fulfillment side of things. He's been working on some some things there. You've got Eric doing his lettering uh site and it seems to be people are starting to specialize a little bit in various different aspects of this. Does it make sense to have all of that information and experience consolidated into one place that's accessible to everybody? I mean, yeah, uh, um, it still gets, people still don't find it. Or it, like, there has to be a way for people to find it, I suppose. If you're looking for it, I think you can find it pretty well. I know Rob Arnold put together a whole, it's a document and it has all the numbers all of very specific advice that you tend to hear over and over again from successful creators. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that he, he's got a good resource. Um, I've made a number of videos on how to crowdfund. Something I thought about doing is making a course. So it's sort of a can, like I've got a video for each section of the course and go from everything to putting your budget together all the way through your campaign to fulfillment and get very specific with every little detail. Um, I've got a brother-in-law who keeps telling me you need to do it, like make a course and charge people, you know, to get into it. But yeah. I I've been so open with the information. The, the problem is, yeah, you have to suss through all my videos uh, to get to all that information. I haven't made it uh, super digestible for people, but I'm wondering um, if something like this might be worth having at some place like the Kubert School, for example, because you've got people that are just getting into get you know drawing for comics, illustrating, and I'm sure that there are a number of them who would like to create their own rather than you know in addition to or other than doing something like a Superman or Spider-Man or or, or something like that. Uh, it, it would almost seem to to make sense n not just to have this available as like this online course, but maybe have some sort of a curriculum, a class that you could make available to some of these some of these schools that are teaching in the comics world. Or is that is that too far outside the the realm of possibility? Do you think? I mean, it's possible. I don't. Um... I'm not like necessarily seeking out to try and give people advice um, to, or, you know, how do I word this? I don't, I don't really want to train my competition <laughs> too, too much, if that makes sense. At the same time, if anybody asks me uh, or if they're watching my videos, I'm really, really free with advice and I won't, I don't hold back. Like I'll let people know everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't put an effort into making a more formalized version of that. Um, if I did, something I, else I've been thinking about is if you've ever been to a writer's conference, um, they, there's a lot of uh, like young adult fiction writers in Utah. It's like a hotbed. Not many comic writers out here, but there are a lot of uh, fiction writers and we'll, we'll have uh, the writing conferences and you pay a fee and you get into it yeah. and there's different breakout sessions, you know, and you get to learn from various authors and, and uh, even have people read your manuscript and stuff. And I've thought, man, we could do, we could do a, a workshop like that, even if it was a single day or two days or something, it wouldn't even have to be in person. You could do it online, you know, and I'm sure like you, you, you know, even if we, charged a little bit, you know, 
$5 a person or something, you could get people like Chuck Dixon to speak or, you know, there are any number of professionals and do some kind of a writing conference, uh, uh, writing slash crowdfunding, you know, all, all of this stuff's relevant, very relevant to comics today. But having something like that, an event like that, I've been kind of interested in doing something like that. I just would have to commit to doing it. And um, so, I don't know. There you go. I floated the idea a couple times. Yeah, but. well, the, the the challenge with that, well, with anything that gets done, is you have to overcome the whole us versus them mentality when it comes to how people view Comicsgate, I guess. I mean, I, that's that's a challenge, maybe not necessarily the challenge or the or the primary challenge. But you look at... You know, people like Sean Gordon Murphy, for example, who decides he's going to go in and do a, a crowdfunded book and the the pushback on him doing that. And and the the people looking sideways a little bit at Scott Snyder doing it. You still have this this us versus them, you know, Comicsgate bad type of thing. But I but yeah. I like that idea of some sort of a of a workshop that would be open to anybody who wants to do an indie comic any kind of a creator, I mean, if the the process is the same, whether you're a comic skate creator or not, and right. it would, it would make um, sense to me to just have it to anybody who's, who's interested in doing this kind of thing. You don't necessarily have to align with any particular group or affinity or ideology or anything like that. I mean, Cam1138 says, in my opinion, Clint is a case study for how to become a successful creator. He did it right. And I don't know that it's your affiliation with Comicsgate that necessarily fuels that. I mean, certainly it does some some connections, does offer you some connections and networking, but yeah, I mean, there's okay. So, for example, I I saw circulating on Twitter the other day. Uh, there's a picture of uh, Todd McFarland, and he's at a debate mm -hmm. at a convention in 1993. And he showed up to the debate uh, shirtless. You know, he's dressed up like he's going to be a boxer, like he's going into the boxer ring. It's very showboating. And um, at that time with image creators, they were sort of the outcasts or, you know, whether they did it to themselves or, you know, whatever, yeah. they were really shaking things up and they were being, you know, the young guys that were uh, sort of messing with the status quo basically. That's how I view it. Um, today, Todd McFarlane is revered by the whole industry, you know? Right. So I think with Comicsgate, there's a little bit of that showmanship. There's a little bit of the uh, messing with the status quo. We're going to, we don't care, you know, your orthodoxy, how things work right now. It's not the, the correct way for it to work. We're going to fight against that, you know? Um, I think I really think that there the comics gate, not comics gate thing, isn't even going to matter because at the end of the day, if you want to make comics, uh, you can't deny that comics gate is doing something amazing and w w as far as crowdfunding and the more creators like Sean Gordon Murphy or others that are not comics gate, they're they're doing the same thing essentially. They're copying the you know the format. Uh, the methodology, they're finding success doing it. Yeah. And so, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it, it probably won't matter so much. 
and I have to believe that most people, like if you showed up at a convention, they're not even going to know because they're not on Twitter. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not even going to know what Comicsgate is or anti-Comicsgate. They're just interested. Oh, you made comics. You crowdfunded comics. That's interesting. You know, right. I go to my comic book shop. I've gone to a few and I'll show up and, you know, I'll make sure I wear a hat or an alternate hat or something. And I'm always curious if someone recognizes me and no one ever does. But they're all there for comics. So it makes me wonder if at some point the labels fall away and it's just, I'm an indie comics creator and, and it doesn't matter that there's any particular affiliation. Cause I know there's, there are some people who are, you know, comics gate only. We're only going to support comics gate yeah. books. And, and to me, that, that seems a little bit tribal and maybe counterproductive in the long run. I'm not in it, so I don't know all of the back and forth and the discussions about how t how people are approaching the gatekeeping aspects of it. But it would seem to be a little bit counterproductive in the long run in terms of, you know, adding legitimacy to anybody who wants to crowdfund a book. Yeah, and I think um I think that it was true a while ago that there were some that really tried to make it a gatekeeping mm -hmm. thing. And it was a, you know, you test how loyal you were or whatever in public, that, that kind of stuff. I think I don't really see that much now. I mean, I'm, I'm comics gate. That's mainly has to do with just my opinions. Yeah. Um, and so, and as far as I'm concerned, um, it, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see value in, the announce the proclamation, you know, I'm Comicsgate. I, to me, I see the value in, okay, how do you treat fans? How do you, we want uh, professionals to act professional. We want stories to be respected and not be platforms for political propaganda. That, okay, that's the message. All right, I'm on board with that. And so, um, you know, if, I don't know, I, I think um, it can sometimes, or it was more tribalistic to some yeah. where it didn't, none of that stuff really mattered. It was just more of a label thing. To me, the principles are what really matters. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that's what I care. I, I try to live and mo most people know who I am anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they kind of get it. They get where I stand. They know, you know, where it's all at. But, but it, having said that, I don't, I'm not opposed to, I'll talk to anybody. Um, you know, if, anybody in the industry wanted to crowdfund, I welcome them to come crowdfund. I think it's, it's better for everybody that they're bringing people to crowdfunding and it does legitimize it. Yeah. Um, Cam says that Comicsgate has pushed off the club mentality and returned more to the ideals, which is great. And that certainly seems like the, the, the yeah. smarter move at, and as we get here into the, you know, the last 20 minutes or so, I think we probably should tell people what, downcast three is about yeah <laughs> because we haven't really talked about the story here so yeah you're introducing an underwater aspect to this that hasn't been in there before which i think is a really interesting uh switch uh to the other two books so so take us through what submerged is about here yeah so i, I gave a little hint in this in the secret history of strata which was a uh, it was just an additional, you know, little story. It was sort of like a journal excerpt uh, in the second book. And so the the story here is we have the monstro. He's a character that 
if you well, first I got to tell you, lay the groundwork for for downcast, and it's basically humanity has abandoned the earth to live in the clouds uh, for various reasons, and so they've they're controlling gravity. They've figured out a way to to exist up there, and they've got a lot of political turmoil. In the meantime, we have this character, the Monstro, who uh, had a run-in with this same power to control gravity much, much earlier. He's from the 1800s, and he got abandoned in a diving suit on the ocean floor, and he's been walking the ocean floor for hundreds of years. When he comes to the surface, the world is not like what it used to be. Uh, the humanity's gone. They're up in the clouds. And so he's basically on a on a journey for revenge. And that's what brings him to the city of Strata, meeting with our main characters here. Uh, and I don't want to give away too much, but uh, it's, I don't know, it's a really fun story. This is, I think, uh, for both Nacho and I, this is us stepping up and becoming uh, more and more professional with our craft. Uh, it's it's really felt really good uh, creating this with him. The process just seems seamless, and I think people are going to love the story, especially if you like Downcast One and Two. I think this uh, this direction and this new story arc is uh, going to be really fun for people. Uh, and if you're new, I think it's just promising to know that uh, we're making a pretty epic story here. Now, I I saw your uh, your stream yesterday with Nacho. Uh, that's Ignacio Lazaro, um, and he was talking about some of his influences. But you also mentioned he's not the original artist that you had uh, you had lined up for this. You found you found Nacho through you know DeviantArt Art and Tumblr, and you kept coming back to his art. But you'd already hired this guy, yeah. um, and. It's when you talk about agonizing over firing your original artist, who apparently, as I understand it, hadn't even delivered anything. So that that yeah. seems to me like there there wasn't really very much question on that. But how hard is that when you're sitting there and and you're responsible? I mean, this is your baby. You want to make sure that you've got the best product that you can possibly put out there. That are those challenges really hard to overcome. I know you said you discussed it with your wife for a while and, uh, but how much agonizing do you do over, over changing things like that? Cause that's a pretty big, that's a pretty significant yeah. uh, pivot. It, it's tough. Um, it was hard that first time because I had already paid, <laughs> already paid this guy <laughs> some money and I didn't know any, I didn't know if any of this was even ever going to get made, you know? Yeah. So I was selling things to be able to pay for the production of a comic book or at least enough to to launch it on indiegogo so that was that was agonizing in that i'm cutting my losses here and i've paid this guy money that i'm not going to get back um on the other hand i liked his artwork from his portfolio he showed me a couple sketches and time was passing and then i kept looking back to deviant art i look would look at nacho's art um and his art I hadn't seen when I hired this other guy. So uh, when I looked at on DeviantArt and I saw his stuff, I just kept coming back to it. And this was, you know, dozens and dozens of portfolios. I kept coming back to Nacho's because his style was unique. It, I felt like a, he had a voice, you know, and, and the look of his art would stand out. And so, and I just, I loved it. So uh, 
I just figured, well, we'll fire this guy. <laughs> if I making the decisions always hard, there have been a few times when I've had to fire people, um, and, you know, little things, big things. But I'll tell you, I feel a big responsibility, um, especially to like someone like Nacho, uh, Charlie, because these guys, they put a lot of time into making these books. And, um, you know, we were talking with Nacho on the live stream yesterday, and he's talking about how he does it full time, you know, and 2020 was a rough year economically for comics everywhere, but including Argentina where he lives. And so um, it, it's a privilege to be able to keep him working, you know, that he's working on this book. At the same time, it is pressure too, because it's like, I want to, I want to keep him working, you know, right. I want to make sure he gets paid. And, and so there's that pressure for sure. But um, man, as a leading a creative team or being sort of the producer of a book, it definitely, uh, it, it, I can see why you stick with the same creators over and over again, because you find what works. I, you know, Eric is my letterer and he'll probably always be my letterer. And uh, that's because he, he does good work and gets it done. And then now I'm invested in making sure that he gets paid, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, all, all of this is important uh, stuff, but I think to anybody out there considering it, I hear it all the time. Sometimes you need to just let someone go for a project to survive. Yeah. You know, you have to do it. It sucks, but necessary sometimes. So this campaign is just at the beginnings and you're already here. I guess let's do a little quick refresh here. You are already uh, just over 16.5. You're at 331%, 29 days left. Are you going to do this as a 60-day campaign or are you going to go 30 and then go in demand? Uh, I think I think I'm going to try extending it. Uh, I did that with Fatal. And it worked out well. I see the I see why people do it. You get the harness, the Indiegogo bump at the end. They'll promote your book mm -hmm. because it's ending. So they they'll promote it twice, basically. Uh, so I think I might try that. I don't know if I'm going to extend it for a full other thirty days though, because I kind of will need the cash <laughs> to get the book printed. So you know, you extend the campaign, you don't get the money until after it's completed. So I might extend it for just another two weeks rather than another three weeks right. uh, when it's over. But I think I'd like to do that and just see, you know, what we can do with that strategy. Robert says he just bought volume one from Alterna in digital and he'll definitely buy the digital copy for this one when it comes out. Is, is this nice. now, are all the downcast titles going to Alterna or is it just the first one for now? And you see what happens. We have, how have you got that set up? Uh, at the moment, it's set up for every Alterna title. It's going, every Downcast title is going through Alterna. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's my plan. So as long as Peter will keep Downcast, then I'll keep putting it through Alterna. How much does um, that affect your creative strategy, though? When you're doing, you know, you're doing a 64-page book or a 68-page yeah. book or whatever, and now you have to figure where your single issue breaks are going to be? Does that affect how you're telling this story? It does, um, but I think in a good way. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think a 20, there's there's a few good reasons why 20 to uh, 32 pages is generally what you see for a single issue. And that's because it the pacing and everything works out pretty well. So my issues 
my single issues sort of vary. I think anywhere from 24 pages to 20 pages in some cases. Um, and it, it works for chapter breaks. It works because I have to think, okay, I've got, let's say I've got a 20 pages right here that I want a story in. I need to make sure that I have some action that I'm going to be thinking about after I put that book down. I've got enough meat from the plot that you can think about again after you put that book down. It'll stick with you and I can progress the story forward. And so doing that in every single issue, uh, it makes for, I think, a better reading experience even in a larger format. Um, I just got finished reading, uh, well, it's been a few months now, finished reading the Daredevil Omnibus uh, from Frank Miller. And those were written for issues, you know, but it makes for a really fun read when you're reading chapter by chapter and there's, you know, slightly new problems that come up in every issue. Uh, But at the same time, it's building toward a bigger problem. I love that format for comics. So the fact that we're doing single issues, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for me to really lean into it. Um, It made it a little awkward at first for like downcast one, but I was also trying to learn exactly how you know, how I'm doing this. Uh, now, now I'm, I've been around the block a couple times and uh, I think it, it really makes for a really good book. So, so what happens after this downcast three gets done. You, you guys are almost, I mean, you, you the, the, the book is done. All you got to do is go to the printer at this point. And yep. then you've got fulfillment on this one. You guys are still working on fatal. What's next? Well, a lot of people want Dracula. So I get questions about that all the time. And I realize it's a little bit of a, a gimmick to just be to play off my last name. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I'm going to do a Dracula book. Uh, the way that I want to do it is, is uh, finish it first, you mm-hmm. know, and, and kind of go with this model if I can do that. So we will see. Um, but that's the goal is I really want to get Dracula started and start working toward that. And of course, Fatal is a, a big, important thing. We got to get Fatal finished and shipped. Charlie's working on that. But the ball is really in his court right now as far as getting the book done. So, um, so yeah, hopefully the very next thing will be fulfilling Fatal. Uh, that'll be the next goal. And Dracula, I'll, you know, I've been in talk with artists on that, and I want to get that rolling after we're done with Downcast 3. Robert suggests that you that you on on Dracula authored by the latter day Stoker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Accurate. so so uh, Downcast Three Submerged is is going on now. You can find Clint over on YouTube. The the handle Sweetcast, and he is Cast Sweet over on Twitter. Where else can anybody find you? I, I'm also on Instagram. You can. Uh, I think I'm, I don't, I don't use Instagram very much. <laughs> I've been trying to speaking of getting to other audiences, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. I think it's sweet cast. It might be cast sweet. One of those two. You'll find me. Okay. Um, that's about it right now. All right. Well, good luck with all of that. Thanks for being back here, sir. It's good to have you. Yeah. We'll great. To... Always great to talk to you. Now Thank when, you. when fatal, are you, do you have any kind of a ballpark when fatal will start fulfilling? Cause I would not have to have you back there to, to talk about that one. Well, uh, last time I gave a ballpark, then uh, we were working toward it, and then Charlie asked for more time. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm a hesitant to give a ballpark, but um, 
all I can say is he's working on it. He had to have a little pause. Uh, well, it feels like a big pause in the production of art. So he's been kind of going to it and away from it because he's got some family circumstances that are pretty rough right now. His wife was diagnosed with cancer and mm. she's, uh, she's in room. I don't know what the exact, the wording is, but she's better, but she's had to have surgery and sort of just moving forward from there. So um, he's had some increased responsibilities at home and, uh, but yeah, I, I'm in contact with him and um, try to keep the campaign updated as well. Uh, best I can, but I want to get another uh, quote from him just so you guys, everyone can hear from him himself, but I would love to get it fulfilled this summer. That's what I was hoping for, but um, you know, all this depends upon when Charlie is finished and satisfied with the art. Right. All right. Well, we will keep Charlie and his family in our thoughts and good luck to you on, on whatever happens next, whether it's Dracula or some other project. Clint Stoker of Sweet Comics, Sweetcast, the YouTube channel. And I do want to thank all of you for being here this week. No Ranker Pit tonight. We're still playing catch-up on the week. But we will be here on Saturday for an all-new Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. And I do think also we've got possibly a... Tardis sauce this week. I don't know. We got to got to check on that and make sure. So in the meantime, uh, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. Share it with your friends. Inflict us on your enemies, and uh, feel free to check out any of the rest of the videos. As always, you can leave a comment or send us an email with a topic suggestion or somebody that you'd like to see as a guest here live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. We will have an event update. Uh, here in the next couple of days, uh, either uh, either on a weeknight or we'll have it on Saturday morning with the latest schedule changes, our school closings list. We're working on that as well. So that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.